So I don't know if you have ever thought much about it, but what happens here on a Sunday morning, in a sense, is rather remarkable. A group of people gather every week. They get up early on a Sunday, and we come together and we sing and we give a portion of our income here. And if that weren't strange enough, a a major reason for coming together is so they can listen to someone talk to them about things contained in a book, the newest parts of which are almost 2,000 years old now. And then many of those people who gathered there uh, and here listening to that man speak, know that book intimately themselves, and yet they are usually the very ones who pay the closest attention to what that man has to say. And add to all of that the fact that sometimes the person who's talking from the book says things that in other settings would likely offend people. Well, it makes it even more noteworthy. Now, of course, that's not remarkable to us, I mean, because we're the ones who are doing it, and there are many others around us and all across the globe doing the same kind of thing. But surely, if there were a people who lived in a remote corner of our world, having never seen what we do every Sunday, who had left their land and happened upon one of our meetings, wouldn't that all seem strange to them? And just how would we explain that? Well, we tell them, wouldn't we, that we gather to worship the one true God who created everything there is. And our singing is a form of worship. And we give of our income as an expression of our love for God and to advance his kingdom in this world that he created and he loves and is trying to save because all people have been in rebellion against him. And the book we honor and heed is, uh, is God's true word to his people. Now, that would be a pretty good explanation of things as they stand, I think. But they would then almost certainly ask one more question, which we might phrase this way. You have the book, and you can read the book. And then, too, many of you know much about the book yourselves. So why do you submit yourselves to that man who speaks from it that sometimes says things that you may not want to hear? And the answer to that question is a little more complex, (laughs) And the short response is, is that we believe that God uses such a person to communicate his truth, which we refer to as a message. And if we think more about it, we realize it is a particular word to a particular people at a particular place and a particular time. Hence, message is exactly the right description for what happened. And though we do not have a stranger who knows nothing about our Sunday times together asking us questions about it, still it's good for us to think again about why indeed we are here today. And there are many places in our Bible which we could turn to in order to remind ourselves of it. 
But the one we're going to look at is found once again in the book of Romans, which we've been making our way through for over a year now. So won't you join me now in your own personal Bibles or in the text as it's displayed on the screens as we consider verses 14 and 17 or through 17 of the 15th chapter, Paul's letter to the Romans. Now, we're going to try to answer the question, why should we listen to pastors and teachers when they talk to us from the Bible? And maybe the first thing you think about when you hear that question is that we need to be taught what the Bible says, especially new believers, they have a lot to learn. And while that's true, our text starts off in a different direction as we see in verse 14, where the Apostle Paul writes these words, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Paul is not here addressing new or immature believers. I mean, he does in other places and in other letters, but not here. Here he's talking to mature followers of Christ who are biblically literate, who can themselves teach the Word of God to others. Now, Paul is not being presumptuous here, as though he were the only one who had anything important to say. And as we go on, he'll be pretty clear about why he thinks it's okay to do what he's doing. But for us right now... One thing we can take away from this is that you and I have not arrived. <laughs> uh, no one has. No one ever gets to the place where they don't need to hear from God's Word anymore. The mature believers in Rome who could teach others God's Word still needed to hear, and so do we. Now, you know, if you're traveling to another city for business or pleasure, you might indeed call your loved ones and say that you've safely arrived. But you haven't really arrived unless you plan on leave or leaving that place. It's not your final destination. It's just one stop in life. And you'll go on from there, or perhaps to another city or back home, only to travel again another day. Well, the Christian life is a walk. It's a journey, and we need to hear from God all along the way. It's even a bit more complicated than that, for you understand that we're not the ones who are determining where we're going. I mean, we may think we are, but God's the one who whirls our steps. And if we want to live effective Christian lives, we're going to seek his guidance. And that comes to us in a variety of ways, through prayers and our personal devotions and the counsel of good friends, but also through times like this, as God builds into our lives through his words, making us into the people that we should be. And so you and I, because we've never arrived, e even though we may be mature believers, we still need to listen to pastors and teachers as they share God's word. And that includes, and I think it especially includes, those times they speak to us about things which make us uncomfortable. 
which is exactly what Paul did throughout the letter to the Romans. But he points that out that he did so specifically in the beginning of verse 15, where he says, after acknowledging their maturity and knowledge, yet I have written to you quite boldly on some point. So Paul's saying here that he knew some of the things he had written would be difficult for them to hear, and that's why he had to be bold. And yet he knew they needed to hear them. What's interesting is, is that deep down, those mature believers in Rome already knew much of what Paul was talking about. See, all the apostle was doing was reminding them, verse 15 again, yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again. This wasn't so much new information. Well, it it may have been for some people, right? But for most of them, the things that Paul was talking about in his letter, they really did already know. Those things had just become somehow fuzzy in their mind. And it wouldn't be pleasant But their memory needed a good jogging. And that's just what Paul did. Now, I I went to the dentist this week. (laughs) It was a routine cleaning, right? But, you know, when you go for a cleaning at the dentist, they always do an examination, even if you're not having any issues. And fortunately for me, they didn't find a problem this time. But when they do, when they find a problem, they tell you about it. And then they want you to come back so they can treat it, right? And you know, don't you, that when you do come back, it's going to mean a certain amount of discomfort for you. Yet you make the appointment anyway. You make up your mind to endure the procedure because you know you need it. The diagnosis and the treatment are not pleasant, but they're necessary. So often it is when it comes to spiritual things. Often the things that we need to hear, we would rather not hear, we would rather not admit to. You and I may not even know we had a problem until the messenger comes. But he didn't cause the problem. And the message is first off the diagnosis, but then it's the treatment too. And it's all for our good. I have to tell you, unlike the medical profession, the spiritual realm, the messenger doesn't usually diagnose the problem. (laughs) I mean, sometimes the issue was so obvious that even the messenger can see it. But most of the time, we are simply dependent on God's leading. We're really only messengers. We can't see into your heart. Only God can do that, and he knows. He doesn't guess. Now, most pastors have had experience when someone says to them, oh, I really needed to hear that, though we would have never guessed that that was at all an issue for them or that they needed that encouragement or whatever else it might have been. And there are even times when people will get mad at us because they think someone must have told us about them, and that's why we set the things we do. But we had no idea... (laughs) until they revealed it by being angry with us. See, even though you might be a mature believer, you still need to listen to pastors and teachers when they're proclaiming God's truth, even when and especially when it makes one uncomfortable. Now, I think most of us here understand that. Um, 
We know we ought to listen for our own good. But the text goes on to tell us some things, actually four things specifically, about the messenger that we ought to know. And I know we ought to know it because the Bible tells us about them. And we're going to look at each of those things briefly. And so to begin with, I can say this from the text. God's messengers are called by God to their specific or particular tasks. Verse 15 through the beginning of verse 16. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. You see, Paul was called by God through his grace to a particular task of ministering to the Gentiles. That doesn't mean Paul never had anything to do with the Jews, but his focus of his ministry was on the Gentile world. His gifts, his temperament, his insights, his training, all uniquely qualified him to minister to those nations. And Paul's calling by God was, well, it was unusual and amazing to say the very least. On the road to Damascus, Paul was on the way to arrest Christians when Jesus himself appeared and spoke to him. And Paul asked him uh, who he was, and he heard what was no doubt a disturbing reply when Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. And Paul was blinded by the brightness of the Lord's presence, and, and he had to be led by the hand into the city where for three days and three nights he ate and drank Nothing until a man by the name of Ananias was sent to him to restore his sight and tell him the good news concerning Jesus. You know, the call of the other disciples, the other apostles, was not very remarkable. I mean, except for the fact that Jesus was the one who called them. But then the fact is, Jesus is the one who calls all of those in his service. James. John, Peter, Andrew, Matthew were simply going about their business when Jesus said, come, follow me. And most of us who have heard that call, we just have a sense that this is what we're supposed to do. There are no fireworks. There aren't any hysterics. There's just a kind of leading which gets confirmed as we follow and over time. The night in the back of a 7-Eleven store, when I got down on my knees and asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, I knew then that everyone needed to hear what I had heard, that Jesus loved us and died for our sins so we could be forgiven and live forever with him. And God eventually led me into ministry. Last Sunday, a couple of us met with Webb and Celinda to talk about IBTs, the in-betweens, and children's church and how those things were going. Webb's been ministering to kids for 40 years, and he's done children's church or IBTs here in this church for the last 15 of those 40. You don't do that unless you've been called by God. Celinda had committed a year, which was almost up, and we wanted to know if we needed to find a replacement for her. And she told us that when she 
thought about giving up that ministry, it was almost too much for her to bear. Oh, she loves the fifth Sunday family worship time together when she can be with us and worship God. But her heart is with those children. And that's where she wants to be. That's what it means to be called. God may move her to some other ministry in the future, but for now, that's right where he has her. And our calling may not be as extraordinary as Paul's, but it is every bit as powerful. Years ago, I was given a piece of advice that I thought was interesting then, but which I've come to understand is deep wisdom. I was told when considering going into ministry that if there was something else, anything else that I could do, that I should do that instead. I have to tell you, that's scary in some ways, but it's true. If God calls you, you will never be satisfied with doing anything else. So even though you may be a mature believer, you still need to listen to pastors and teachers when they're proclaiming God's truth because they've been called by God to do the very thing they're doing. Now, I have to tell you, I think over time, um, you and I can see when uh, God has called a person to some particular ministry, but there are some things which confirm what we might already sense by telling us more about the heart of such people. People who are called by God to teach and preach his word know something really important. They know that it is all about the cross, which is what the rest of verse 16 tells us. He, meaning God, Paul speaking, gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. It's all about the cross. Now, we can expand what Paul wrote here by saying uh, those God has called to teach and preach his word apply in a priestly fashion, which I'll explain in a moment. But we apply the gospel, which defines the Christian life, to each particular situation people find themselves in. The short way of saying that is it's all about the cross. So bear with me for a moment, if you would, as we go through this. Paul talks about being given a priestly duty. Priests represent God to people and people to God. But how do we represent people to God? I mean, we can see pretty clearly how we do it the other way around by sharing God's word. But how do we represent people to God? Well, we do it by praying for them, which means if we do it, we understand their frailties and their needs. We ought to know that well enough because of our own frailties and needs, but oh, how easy it is to forget. But when we pray for others, interceding for them, it makes us more aware of our calling and the great need that we all have for the grace of God. So we apply the gospel to their lives where they are, not where we think they should be. The NIV says we proclaim it, but the more accurate translation is we minister the gospel. 
So not only do we preach the good news to those who aren't believers, to the lost, but as here, where it clearly is the sense, we apply it to the lives of those who are already believers. The gospel brings one into the kingdom, but it also defines what it means to be in the kingdom of God. It's all about the cross. It's all about grace. We enter the kingdom by grace, and we live there that same way. Now, I have to tell you, and you know this, I think, already. We Christians, not just pastors and teachers, but all of us, we find it hard to keep to that idea. (laughs) We're always trying to make the Christian life about rules. Or we go to the other extreme, and we try to turn grace into a license. But the cross reminds us. That we died to sin and we are not to live in it any longer. And yet there is grace for all of our failures and a grace to help us walk the walk. And this is no little thing. If I understand this as I should, what does that mean for my ministry? It means I would have to try to have the right kind of confidence in the things of God as I, as I minister to his people. I, I would be bold when I speak because I'm not speaking for myself but on behalf of the Lord. I, I would remember all of our frailties and pray for God's grace in the lives of others and be willing myself to show that grace to others. I'd better understand that my ministry is the word and prayer and it is all about grace so with that in mind even though you may be a mature believer you still need to listen to pastors and teachers when they proclaim god's word even if it makes you uncomfortable because they've been called by god to do the very thing they're doing and then all of us Pastors, teachers need to know this, but you also need to know this, that not only is it all about grace, but we have an advocate who enables us to live the life we're called to. Verse 16 again, He gave me the priesthood duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. An offering acceptable by God simply means we live our lives in a way that's pleasing to God, and we do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who sanctifies us, who makes us holy. In other words, he's the one who enables us to live the life which is pleasing to God. Now, I think this is a difficult concept for us to grasp. And it's difficult because the Spirit does not do it for us. He does not live the life for us. He enables us to. And often it feels as though we're in a great battle. And as a matter of fact, we are. But we feel as though we're the only ones in the arena often as we face the enemy. And the best way I know how to illustrate what's really happening is to talk about weight training. Many people who are serious about lifting weights um, train with a partner. And during that uh, training, the man or woman even will often go to the point of failure, which means that they 
keep doing repetitions till they get to the place where they can't lift that weight back up to the point of stop. And that's when the partner steps in, not by doing it for them, but by giving them just enough help so they can complete the set. In that process, that person gets stronger than they could alone. And the Holy Spirit gives us enough help so that we can do what we need to do. But in that process, he's growing men out of boys and women out of girls. He's turning us into people who are fit for the kingdom of God. And when we fail, as we do, what's the Spirit do then? (laughs) Well, he does what he's always doing. He points us to Christ and the cross and the grace of God. It's not easy for me to talk about being a pastor and talk about this before you. But it's where the text has led us. And I know that as a pastor, that God is at work through his Holy Spirit in my life. But I also know just as clearly that he is at work in your life. It's not my job to make you holy. I'm just a messenger. I'll pray for you. But the Spirit does all the heavy lifting. And then, even when we fail, it's all about the cross. God's grace is enough. So we listen to pastors and teachers, knowing that they're called by God, to do the very thing they're doing, of course, with the help of the Holy Spirit. The last thing that the text um, tells us about those who are called by God to be pastors and teachers is that their confidence is in Christ alone when it comes to the things of God. So verse 17, we read this. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. That word glory, translated glory, means to express an unusually high degree of confidence in someone or something. I just saw an article about bulletproof clothing designed to be stylish, right? And the inventor was so uh, confident in his product that he shot his wife, who was wearing one of those outfits with live ammo at point-blank range. He was confident in his product. It was his wife, however, who showed the real confidence because she was on the receiving end of the bullet. That's the kind of confidence that we ought to have in Christ. Sometimes uh, the word glory is translated as boast. And when we boast in Christ, we're saying, He can do it. My God can do anything. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, I am completely confident in Christ Jesus because He can do anything when it comes to the things of God. Paul's confidence was not in Paul. It wasn't in Paul's gifts. It wasn't in anything else about Paul. His confidence was in Christ Jesus alone. Who can use us or not? And in that sense, every pastor and teacher that you know is completely superfluous. God does not need me. 
And God does not need Paul. But he will allow us to be part of what he is doing in our world. He will use us as long as we know it's not about us. We have this great privilege, you and I, all of us, if we take it, of being a part of what God is doing in our world. You see, God is so great that not only can he do it, whatever it is, he can even do it through us. This passage tells us that even mature believers, like you, need to listen to pastors and teachers as they present God's word, even if it makes you uncomfortable. For Pastors and teachers remind us of things we may already know but have become fuzzy somehow in our thinking. And they're called by God to their task, which is all about the cross as they both represent God to you and, and you to God through their prayer. We know it's by the power of the Spirit that we, any of us, can live lives that are pleasing to God. And our confidence is in Christ alone when it comes to the things of God. That's what this passage teaches us. I have just one more thing to say this morning. You know, I've already answered the question why we ought to listen to those who present God's words to us. But there's something else I'm supposed to say. You may not have been called by God to be a pastor or a teacher, but there is something that you need to know. And it's something that I want our kids here at Y Bible Church, even the very youngest, to learn and to understand and know. It has three parts. <laughs> and it goes like this. God created you so he could love you. And God created you so that you could love him. And God created you with a purpose. God wants a relationship with you and he has something for you to do that no one else can do. Others can do things like it, but what he has designed for you to do only you can do. And you may do it as a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher or a plumber or electrician or a stay-at-home mom. It doesn't matter. All of that is part of God's plan too. But God has a call on your life just like he has a call on mine. He made you with a purpose. You have something to do. And if you don't know what that is, now then, may I remind you of the words of our Lord? Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Now, I'm a pastor, and I have told you God's truth. 
What are you going to do with it? Would you pray with me, please? Lord, it was you who appointed some to be apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers. It's all part of your design, your, your plan. And you're at work in the life of every person in this room. Maybe there's some here that don't know what it means to have that relationship with you. And I pray for them that they would not leave here today without saying, what do you mean by that? Say it to me, to someone they know, so we can show them how they can know you personally. And then, Lord, we know many people here who are serving you and walking with you fulfilling your purpose in their lives, but some, Lord, struggle because they're not sure what it is you want them to do. I pray that you help them, Lord, to be faithful, to seek you, because I know when we seek you, you reveal yourself to us. You've promised us, and we can trust you. Lord, this is your church, and you've promised to build it. Show us our part. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.